Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you've probably heard of or are also a listener of the Beyond the Uniform podcast. Like Orion, Beyond the Uniform is on a mission to help U.S. military veterans identify, pursue, and obtain their ideal post-service career. They're a veteran-led organization that offers resources from podcasts to books and eBooks and webinars. The Beyond the Uniform podcast is iTunes' number one rated podcast for military veteran career advice with tons of interesting guests, including professional athletes, corporate executives, successful entrepreneurs, and more. I was lucky enough to have Justin Nasiri, Beyond the Uniform's founder and host of the podcast, on our show to talk about his military career, transition out of the military, as well as the valuable lessons and advice he's learned through interviewing more than 300 guests on his podcast. This episode is part one of my conversation with Justin. To hear the rest of the interview, make sure you come back for part two. If you have any questions about this interview, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hey, Justin, thanks for joining our show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Now, I'm, you know, I don't want to offend anybody who's been on our podcast in the past, but I will go on a limb and say that you are definitely one of the most impressive and prestigious guests that we've had on our show. So I'm very excited <laughs> to have you. you. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Yeah. I mean, we have so much to talk about today. I'm excited to get into it. Um, we were talking just before I started recording and you had the privilege of having someone from our team on your podcast. And so um, I'll include the show so that everyone can go and listen to it if they want to. But I want to talk a lot about Beyond the Uniform and what you guys are doing over there. Before we get into that, can you go ahead and tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my, I live in Denver, Colorado with my wife and 10-month-old son and a little dog. And uh, I was started out in the Naval Academy, spent about five years on submarines, and then got out and went to business school. And since then have been in the tech entrepreneurship space and uh, a couple of years ago started Beyond the Uniform and have enjoyed that as well. That's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit more about your military background um, in terms of, you know, what was your occupation and then was there anything that kind of stands out to you from your time on active duty, whether it was deployments or anything else that, you know, you look back on and think that it's something that stands out to you? Yeah, I so I spent five years on nuclear submarines on the USS Alaska and the USS Chicago and got out as an O3 as a lieutenant. And I think, you know, it seems like a long time ago now. It's been over, man, over 12 years since I was on active duty. And I think what I miss the most is the the camaraderie. I think that those deployments where everyone is is working in shifts and working around the clock and it's just kind of crazy situations you you develop really deep bonds with people really deep ties and especially on submarines this shared cynical sense of humor and so I do miss that and I miss the you know when we moved around just always getting connected with the other people on the boat and the the, the wives and the spouses and uh that that sense of belonging, I think, is pretty rare. And I, I think I took that for granted when I was in the military. You know, I'm a side note, I am very fascinated by submarines. We actually have somebody who works in our office that um, had a similar military background. And I just have asked him so many questions about them. I think it's the coolest thing. Yeah, it, it is. It is so unique. It's um 
I think that most people envision uh, a life than that is worse than what my experience was. I feel like it wasn't any worse than like a, a cubicle setting, but um, yeah, it was a fun background to have. And at the very least, it's a pretty good conversation starter now. Yeah, definitely. So just to talk a little bit more about, you know, your post-military education and career, you mentioned you started Beyond the Uniform a couple of years ago, but um, just to backtrack a little bit, what was it that initially led you to the decision, your decision to get out of the military? Was it something that you had ever thought about staying in for longer, or did you kind of know um, really from the beginning that you were only going to be there for a certain amount of time? I tried to, to keep a pretty open mind. I think my, my starting point was thinking that I would do five years and then get out. And um, when I got towards the end of like when I would need to submit my paperwork to get out, I, I wanted to make sure I was making the right decision. So at the time I was on the USS Alaska, which is one of the Trident missile submarines, one of the bigger ones. And so what I, I did is I volunteered and we we're out for about a two-month deployment on the USS Alaska. We pulled into port. I hopped on a plane, flew out to Japan, and joined the crew of the USS Chicago. And we went out on deployment with them, which is one of the, the Los Angeles-class submarines, one of the smaller ones, one of the fast attacks. So I went out for the, with them for a couple of months. We pulled in to, uh, to Guam, or no, no, to, uh, to Singapore. And I hopped on a plane, flew back to the US, and joined up with the Alaska to go out with them again. So it was kind of a six-month period of being on deployment, and I, I did that in order to just make sure before I made the decision to get out that I had seen enough to, to know that that was the right decision. And, and I think the reason that I got out at the time, I wasn't, wasn't married, and I was just thinking ahead that I wanted to eventually get married and have kids, and I definitely respect and appreciate those who did that while in the service for me, I, I didn't want to have kids and be away from them and, and be major missing those major my life milestones. So that was one of the biggest things that caused me to to want to get out. Mm -hmm. And I think you hear that a lot, even with people, you know, at Orion, everyone pretty much has a military background and you see people kind of transitioning out at the same stage in life, either you know, they aren't married and they want to find, you know, a spouse and start a family or they're married and they want to start a family or maybe they've just had one kid and they know that they don't want to miss anything with their next. So I think that that's probably I think that's pretty common. It, it is a big sacrifice that those those who serve for a long career that they make. And I I hope that, um, yeah, I hope that our country appreciates that because that's a, it's just a big sacrifice for not just them, but for their, their family as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the whole family is really, um, you know, putting in that the time and sacrifice as well. That's definitely true. So when you got out of the military, and forgive me if this is wrong, because I kind of just gleaned this from your LinkedIn profile, but it, yeah. it, it looked like you went to Stanford after the military um, before you started a military or before you started a civilian career. So is that true? And then if there are other, yep. okay, great. And then the follow-up to that is if there's someone else who's listening, cause this is actually a question that we get a lot. Should I pursue my education or a career afterwards? So just generally what's your story there and what advice would you have for other people considering that? Yeah. And it, it definitely played into, I know we'll get into it later on, but this kind of played a foundational role of why I wanted to start Beyond the Uniform. So when I was in 
in the military on submarines, I, I had very little idea what I would do when I got out. And I, I knew enough that I had seen people go from the military to business school. And even beyond that, the, the example I had seen from some friends of mine where they went from the military to business school and then to consulting. And so that's what I wrote my business school applications on was like, okay, I want to go to business school. I want to learn what uh, this is all about. And then I want to go into consulting and, and try and figure out how to help companies. And, um, you know, I, at the time I kind of knew I liked managing teams and leading people and just kind of thought, well, what, what do people do in the civilian sector that want to do that? Well, it probably has something to do with business. So I'll go to business school. So it was a pretty, pretty simple mindset at the time. And I'm, I'm very glad that I took that path. I think that uh, I, I really enjoyed my time at, at Stanford Business School. I think it was incredible to meet some amazing people and to learn about what they had done before business school and start to learn about all these different career paths that I'd never even heard about and starting to get a sense of what I may like, what I may dislike. And over the course of two years between the classes and experiences and the classmates started to get a, a better feeling for where my skill set would play in, what, what skill sets I brought to the table and what I might want to do after business school. And I do talk to a lot of, of people and veterans who wonder about whether to pursue education after they serve. I, I do think, personally, I just think that we're all very unique. I, th I think we share a lot from our military heritage, and we're all very different in terms of what energizes us and what excites us and what the unique life that we want to lead looks like. And so... I think that um, I think that one of the advantages of going to either undergrad or grad school immediately after serving is it gives you some time to reorient. Um, I think that for me, I don't think that I realized I needed some time to decompress after the military, and those two years in grad school definitely helped with that. But beyond that, it, it just gave me a sense of learning a new language and understanding a new landscape and figuring out. The, the things that I may want to do. And, and it also helped by creating a network. I mean, the military is a tremendous network to leverage, but having the, the Stanford network to uh, call on as well has, has really been beneficial to me from a career standpoint. The, the downside mm -hmm. and one of the reasons that I, I eventually led um, or started Beyond the Uniform was it's, it's a lot of time. You know, for me, it was two years and it was over $100,000 to, to spend to go to school. And I recognize that not everyone is in a position to do that. And I also recognize that, um, especially for an MBA, it's a very broad degree. And so sometimes I think that people choose to, to get an MBA without knowing why. And then, you know, they, they may have been able to find a more efficient route to what they go on to do, and, and, and grad school is not always the, the fastest way or the most cost-efficient way to achieve what people are looking for. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this being kind of a time for you where you could decompress, but at the same time, you specifically knew what you wanted to accomplish through it. So just piggybacking off of what you said, if you think of it as just a way to decompress and maybe figure it out, that's probably not the best route because you still want to 
you still want to know what your goals are. I well, I think it's I think it's important to know when you when you go in and to have some sense. But I do also I think there's a value to being flexible. So for me, I um, I wrote all my applications about doing consulting work afterwards, and I did my my summer internship between my first and second year with a consulting company mm-hmm. called McKinsey and Company. And I actually accepted an offer from them and uh, was going to go to their New York office after graduation. And this was back in 2009. And at the time, the economy took a little tank. And um, so my start date, I graduated in, uh, it would have been in May or June of 2009. Uh, my start date wasn't until the following February. So I had, had over nine months between graduating and starting with McKinsey. And so I had, um, you know, had an idea for a business and I started to play around with that because I had nine months and nothing else to do. And over those mm-hmm. nine months, I actually, even though I thought I wanted to go and do consulting, in those nine months, I started to really fall in love with the, the startup ecosystem and with tech, tech entrepreneurship in particular. And over those nine months, I started to build a product and I started to acquire customers. And I, I really fell in love with, um, you know, the submarines are a pretty small team and startups are really small teams. And so really fell in love with the thought of working with a small group of people and, and especially creating something new, seeing a pain point and saying, hey, I can fix this. And so I went back to McKinsey and, and this at the time was a really big problem for me because I coming from the military, I thought, you know, my word is my bond. And I told them I was going to work there. And mm-hmm. so I, I talked to Stanford about it. And I, you know, I went, I talked to so many people <laughs> and eventually went to McKinsey and said, hey, guys, I'm so sorry. I know I was going to come there, but I've fallen in love with, with startups and I'll probably be begging you for a job in a couple of months, but I, I just have to follow my heart on this. And they, they didn't care whatsoever. <laughs> they were fine with me going. And um, fortunately, about a month later, I got, uh, I got an investor to put money into what, what became my company, Storybox. And that was a, a life-changing moment. But at the time, I didn't really know it was going to work out like that. And so it's a long-winded way of saying that um, I think it's really, I think it's important to have a sense of knowing what you want to do and why you want to pursue education like I did. And it's equally important to, to, I would say, hold it loosely, to not hold too tightly to that and to be open Mm -hmm. to serendipity, being open to discovering something new. And, um, you know, had I just held on to that vision of consulting without relenting, uh, um, I think my life would be in a different spot than it is now. Definitely. And I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. I think that a lot of times, you know, people pursue a degree that you graduate and you end up doing something entirely different, too. And so for you to take that risk and say, hey, I know I have an opportunity here that I know is going to, you know, pay me well, it's probably going to offer me stability, but I'm also really passionate about this and I'm going to pursue this instead. That takes a lot of bravery because I don't know if everybody would do that. A lot of people like to err on the side of caution. Mm, Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And that's why I think it's always hard to to answer that question about education because, you know, some of the people that ask me that they have four kids and they have, you know, they, I think mm-hmm. that I think the biggest thing that I just keep coming back to again and again is this piece of self knowledge and honesty, 
And I think that, um, you know, from, from the work that I've done with Beyond the Uniform, the, the people that I talk to who are most fulfilled and most happy in their civilian career, they're the ones that, that know themselves and are honest about pursuing what's right for them. And I think it's, it's very hard. It's, it's hard for me to even do this. I think that things like social media make it really hard because we start seeing what other people are going after and we start questioning, oh, maybe I should be doing that as well. And mm-hmm. I think that the, the, the true skill in all of this comes in being honest. And just to give you one quick example, um, I, I, you know, I was in the military, I was an officer, I was on submarines, and I wrote my applications for business school saying, I'm a leader, I love leading teams, I want to, I want to, you know, go to business school and become a consultant, and then I want to lead a Fortune 500 mm-hmm. company. And that was my story. And I mm-hmm. told that story to get into Stanford, and I told that story to all my classmates, and I told that story to investors, and I raised a lot of money for my company Storybox, and grew to a team of 30 people and was leading. And it wasn't until I I met my wife five years later where she would watch me and she would watch what I did and she would watch my energy. And she, she, you know, finally she said, Justin, I know you think that you love to lead and manage people, but every time I see you having to have a difficult conversation with an employee or having to really manage someone or optimize their performance, you're miserable. You you don't like this and it doesn't make you happy. It doesn't make you energized. And when I see you creating something, when I see you working on a project, when I see you building something and talking to people, I, I see you really energized. And I think that that's really your skill and your passion. And that's what, what you're put on this earth to do, essentially. And it was such a blow because it was it was a hundred percent true. I'm not a good manager. I hate managing people. And I had told myself that for nearly ten years. I'd built my career around this vision that I had of myself that wasn't really honest at all. And so I just I just share that because um I do think that self knowledge is a piece that it's continuous. We're always changing and growing and learning about ourselves. But had I not discovered that, I would have been forcing this round hole in a square peg type of thing where it's like trying to make myself happy managing others when that's not really what what does make me energized. And I've done a lot since then to really build what I view a career that's in line with what I uniquely want to do and is aligned with my personality and aligned with what energizes me. But I think that that takes a lot of reflection and honesty and courage to to pursue what makes us uniquely happy rather than what looks good and what makes headlines and what people may admire. And um, yeah, we we could talk more about that. But I think that's one of my biggest things that I get disappointed in in myself and in others is when we pursue a career path or life choices because they're what other people want or because what we think is is right or good rather than just really being honest and saying, look, no one on the planet may ever think I'm successful. No one on the planet may ever envy this career path. And this is what's right for me and for my family. And that's so unique for each and every one of us. Mm-hmm. And you know what's so interesting to me about that story is that it's it's kind of, you know, we're a lot of us, 
really everyone, I think we kind of lack that self-awareness to where it's so much easier for other people to point out whether it's strengths, flaws, things like that. It's really hard for us. It's almost like we have this blind spot when it comes to us. And then just related to, you know, the career aspect of things, you're so right in that we have these ideas of what did we think we were going to do? Like, so whether it was when you went to school, you just held on so tightly to the consulting idea. Had you done that, your career would have been completely different. And so it's letting go of some of the expectations and truly, like you said, using that self-knowledge to decide what is going to make me happy? What will I be successful in? And even if it's just your own version of success, it doesn't have to be anyone else's, but you know, you mentioned social media and they don't call it the highlight reel for nothing. You are only seeing the successes that people are having, not the failures, you know, or the self-doubt that they're having. And of course, everybody has that. And that was, and I love that you said that too. I mean, I, I think I started to put the pieces together in business school. I mean, we would, and, and, and this may come across as judgmental. It's not meant to be judgmental at all. It's meant more to be about finding what we want. But, um, uh, we would have speakers come, and they just had the most inc- like incredible speakers, like just Fortune 500 CEOs and people that were billionaires. And you would see that, and of course, most people would want that. I wanted that too, and you you see that. And I would often see, you know, some of these people were on their third or fourth marriage, or some of these people had missed mm-hmm. major life milestones for their kids. And going back to our, our conversation about submarines, I thought, man, what a hypocrisy for me to leave our armed forces to say, you know, I wanted to be there for my family and then continue to choose careers that would have me traveling all the time and away from them and all these other things. And there's people, mm-hmm. you know, one of the guys I interviewed on my show, he he travels extensively. He's in a sales role. He travels all the time. And it is so clearly the right call for him. He's such an extrovert. He loves being around people. He loves traveling. It works for his family. He's made it work. And I think it's a career that's in alignment for him. But, you know, just to mm-hmm. your point, it's 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 realizing like, oh, man, that that may be wonderful, but not for me. And and to, to say no to those things can often be harder than than pursuing them and saying yes to something that, that might ultimately not not be the optimal fit for us. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's it's really just about what's finding what's best for you and not what's best for everyone else. Of course, people, if you get some great job opportunity and, you know, you get the offer, you don't want to turn it down, even if it's something that you think, well, this might be a little bit more than I'm willing to give, whether it's time in the office or travel. But you think that, you know, well, the money that you're going to make might outweigh it or blah, blah, blah. You might think that you can overcome some of the downsides to it. But yeah, it's really just about finding out what's right for you and, you know, having peace with that decision. And I, and I do think too, it's a moment by moment thing. Like I know that the types of career activities that I would have killed for 10 years ago, you know, five years ago, even aren't right for me now. You know, now I've got a wife, I've got a son, I I really like more stability, and I like deeper work. And before I would have loved just, you know, um, a a lot more frenetic activity and a lot more Mm -hmm. different things. And so I think that it's just for me, it's, it's a good reminder too of like, okay, I'm making the career and life decisions that are right for me right now. And who knows, in three or four years, that could completely change. And I want to be 
continuously open and honest with myself and continuously open to pursuing the right decision in the moment. And I can't do that if I'm holding to some script of what's right for me in the past. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's such a powerful sentiment because that's really where people, so many people become stagnant is because they're in a career that maybe was right for them five years ago, even maybe two years ago, but then it changes and there's so much unknown. Well, I don't want to start this new job because then I'm going to have to learn new things and I'm going to have to learn new, meet new people and, you know, get a new sense of normal. And that just holds so many people back. So it's, it's really great to hear you. Um, you know, you've obviously got a great thing going right now, but you know, you're not holding on to it so tight that if something happens in a couple of years and you want to do something else that you wouldn't do that if that's what was best for you and your family. So I think that's awesome. And I really think that's pretty rare too. And I, and I hope that your listeners, especially for those who might be going through their first career transition, I hope that gives them encouragement and, and optimism in that, yes, they're leaving, oftentimes they're leaving the familiarity of the military and moving into their first civilian job. It's, it's almost like, look, this is a skill that you're learning that you're going to be able to reuse. Your whole process of finding a job and finding a career path and finding a new home, that's something that you'll, you know, I've, I've had to do that four or five times now. I'm, I'm 39 years old. I've been out for 12, about 12 years. You know, I've, I've had to do that four or five times where I've recommitted to a new direction in my life. And, mm -hmm. um, so, so to know that, that that skill that you're learning in this first transition, it's not a once and done thing. You're going to be able to use that skill again and again throughout your lifetime and career. Definitely. And speaking of first transitions, I know that, you know, you had you referenced a couple of times the other startup that you um, were involved with before Beyond the Uniform. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Was that your first post-military career? It was, yeah, it was. Um, and so I, I, I turned down the consulting offer and, and started my company at the time. It was called Video Genie and it became Storybox. And it was, uh, it was incredible. I raised about $3 million in venture capital. And at the time, Google's chairman, um, Eric Schmidt, he, you know, he invested. And so it felt incredible to have someone so smart and wealthy believing in me. And, um, it was it was some of the best and worst experiences of my life. It was a, a tremendous roller coaster, and you know we raised three million dollars, and we were working with companies like Disney and um, Microsoft and Budweiser, and I loved creating this technology. It was this marketing platform that helped um, marketers. Uh, essentially get more customers. And so I loved working with engineers and, and developing product and selling and marketing. And one of the things about entrepreneurship is you kind of have to learn a little bit of everything, which wasn't too different than my experience on submarines. Like my experience on submarines was like, I had to learn a little bit about navigation and about weapons and about radar and about sonar and all these different things. And I had to work with people that knew each of those people, th those pieces much better than I did. 
And that's for me was like entrepreneurship. I had to learn something and do it myself and then eventually hired people that were much better at it than I was and had to still know a little bit to be able to lead them. And so um, I loved that aspect, but it is a very, my experience was very much a roller coaster where you're, you know, riding these incredible highs and then you run into very, very big challenges. And it was almost, you know, the sense that death was at our doorstep for, for years at a time. Mm -hmm. Like we were always worried about running out of money and raising more money and getting more customers. And, you know, you, you sign a big client and then you lose another one. And it's just, it almost feels like uh, you're on a ship that's constantly springing holes because you're building this ship as you, <laughs> as you go through the water. And so, um, yeah, I spent over seven, eight years uh, running running Storybox, and it actually still goes today, and and still has customers, and still generates a lot of money. Though I'm not as actively involved in it anymore. But I I um, am grateful for the time I had with that first venture in in technology startups. Yeah, that's very cool. And you know, just listening to you talk, Jess, and you obviously two of your traits that have served you well is that you seem like you're very adaptable and flexible. Mm -hmm. Do you think that? you've always been that way or is that something that you kind of acquired through your time in the military? Oh, that's so interesting. I, well, I appreciate your saying that. I, um, it's funny cause I think of all the ways in which I'm not flexible. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, you know, you know, the one thing I'll say is that when I would, um, talk with people about entrepreneurship, I definitely wouldn't have been able to do what I did without, Stanford, like it was a very important part of my life. And I think that what whatever success I experienced as an entrepreneurship, as an entrepreneur, I do attribute more to the military. And I think that, you know, one of the things you touched on is flexibility. And I know many people, particularly the hiring managers, may view military applicants as inflexible. But as mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate to, my experience in the military was so much flexibility. I mean, there was always things that were changing and just rolling with the punches and trying to find some way to accomplish whatever objective I was given. And so it did require a lot of adaptation and thinking around corners and finding new ways to solve problems. And the, the other piece that might be at odds to that is this, this sense of just unbelievable discipline, like the ability, you know, I, I think that especially in the early days of my startup, I was just working around the clock. And that determination, I think, was built into me from the military, for sure. Yeah. And speaking of misconceptions that hiring managers might have, I, that is one of the ones we actually offer a training program to employers through Orion. And that's one of the topics that we address there because it is really one of the misconceptions. And I don't think people want to admit that that's the way that they think about veterans, but um, there is a misconception that, you know, they're a little rigid and um, don't think outside of the box, only do what they're told, strictly following orders, or on the flip side, only barking orders. So yep. it's funny because really anybody that is a veteran or has worked in close capacity with one knows that that is absolutely not the case, but there still totally is agree. that stereotype. Yeah, yeah that's very true. Now, that's very true. That's great that you do yeah. that training. Yeah, definitely. Now, looking back just on some of the things we've talked about, whether it's your military transition or, you know, your careers after the military, is there anything that kind of has stood out to you as um, 
a struggle in any of these transition phases. So whether it was something when you just got out of the military or even, um, I know you mentioned, you know, kind of turning down a job that you had to do a startup. So that's certainly a struggle too, but anything else that kind of stands out to you that um, was a little hard for you at the time? I think the, I think the one that stands out most is, I mean, the military is obviously a very, very large organization. When I was in the military, I, I appreciated the simplicity of purpose. Like it was very clear to me, like in that moment, my life's purpose was protecting our country. It was a very, a very identifiable piece of who I was. And the career aspect was very clear to me as well. Like, okay, if I stay in, it's going to be, I'm going to have a short tour and then it's going to be, you know, three or so more years until I'm a lieutenant commander and then maybe I'll get command. And it, and it just, even at the Naval Academy, it was like, well, I could go into submarines or Marine Corps or surface warfare. There's, you know, six or seven options. And by contrast, to go from, that certainty of my mission in life and the certainty around what options I have available, even still now looking, it's like, okay, what do I want to do with my life? Like, am I, like, what is my purpose? Before it was protecting my country, but what is that overarching purpose of my life now? And then when you look at it from a career standpoint, there's, there's, infinite possibilities. I mean, just looking at geogra geography, like I could live external to the U.S. or inside the U.S. I can live in, there's probably 50 cities, if not more, where I'd be really happy. And then, you know, there's so many different functional roles, so many different industries, so many different sizes of companies. And so it can be really, um, it, it almost feels like at Disneyland where you, you're like on the cars and there's like a set track and you have no, you know, you have a little bit of choice of going back and forth to the left and right or faster or slower. But for the most part, the track is pretty straightforward. And then, you know, my experience in the civilian sector is like it's off-roading in a, in a fully loaded Humvee. Like you can go anywhere. And, <laughs> and that can be, that can be intimidating to, to have millions of options and not really know what's right. And then also to have this pressure that I think we put, you know, this is a little bit off topic, but we sometimes put pressure on in marriage of finding like the, the person of your dreams and the person who just like all this pressure on marriage. And we put that on our career as well. Like, oh, it needs to mm -hmm. provide for you and it needs to be your identity and you need to be growing. You need to feel great. It's like, wow, that's a, that's a lot of pressure. And then when you're presented with a million options in this extreme pressure, a lot of us, you know, and, and I felt this at certain times too, there's this sense of paralysis of fear of getting it wrong or fear of choosing an 80% right career path. And maybe there's this 100% mm -hmm. right one out there. And I, I do think that that is something that that is unique to us as veterans where going that, that contrast from just clear certainty and clear limited options to then just unbelievable ambiguity and unbelievable <laughs> amount of room to, to, to maneuver. And there's certainly aspects of that that are great to have so much freedom and autonomy, but there's, there's part of it that can just lead, you know, I feel at moments the terror of not knowing, like, is this the mm -hmm. right one? Is there something else out there that's better? 
And I think that that's probably most pronounced when someone leaves the military. And, and the, re- the last thing I'll say is one of the reasons I want to bring that up is um, especially when there's a financial consideration of like, I need to provide for myself and my family, there can be this this overriding sense of like, I just need to accept an offer. I just need to take a job. I need a safe harbor right, right now. And and sometimes we may jump into the wrong the wrong job if if we're if we're willing to tolerate that discomfort of not knowing and we're willing to tolerate that sense of you know I don't know what I'm going to do sometimes if we're able to stay in that a little bit longer we may find jobs we never knew about or find opportunities we never knew were there like sometimes being able to wait is an incredible asset amidst that ambiguity Mm-hmm. And the other piece of anxiety that then gets tacked onto that is if you feel like if you jump into something too quickly, then you've automatically, you know, you've got to stay there for an unspecified amount of time, but long enough to where you won't be labeled a job hopper. So there's like all these things yep. that go into it where you don't want to make a decision too fast and choose the wrong thing, but then you can't wait too long because you need the income. So, I mean, I, I imagine a lot of times you just feel like you're juggling with, you know, fireballs. It's just, you know, you got to keep all this stuff in the air and you have to make the right decision. And I know there's so many resources out there too, in terms of, um, you know, checklists and workbooks and ways that you can, you know, put down your non-negotiables. And like, you know, you mentioned regional preference, like there's some things that for a lot of job seekers can significantly narrow it down. But then there are many job seekers who are very open. And then, like you said, the possibilities are endless. And that's just, you know, can lead to information overload. Yeah, no, that's, I, and juggling fireballs is a good, a good way of putting it too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond. So make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.